Amen. Last week, I thought we were through with this series. We're not. It ain't over. I remember the night I graduated from college. It was an unusual moment. Uh, it's a moment you, you work for, you know. You go to high school, go to college, pay all that money, study all those hours, stay up all those late nights, take all those exams. You go to that graduation, they call your name, everyone, well, not everyone, just my family, cheers. <laughs> and you get that diploma, and you think, woo, did it. Go out to eat afterwards, everybody's all celebrating, happy. I go home that night, I put my head down on the pillow, and I think, what now? I didn't have a career job. I didn't have all the answers I thought I would have at that moment that life kind of somehow tells you you're supposed to have the moment you graduate from college. You know, everything's supposed to be, you know, an amazing job, home, spouse, all this stuff happening. I didn't. And I remember that very unusual feeling of, what now? What do I do now? I was kind of struck with a very similar feeling this week. As um, election results began to come in, and there began to be a pause on those election returns. And then as hours and some days passed, some began to declare a winner. But best I can tell, until there is a legal directive that says there is a winner, there is no winner. Amen. So we're on the pause. We're in this moment of what now? There's this hesitation of choice. There's the awareness that we, we're not just choosing a person. We're choosing a, a vision, a philosophy, a direction for the nation. And as we've talked about here at Vertical, we've made, attempted to make decision based on a biblical worldview, based on eternal truth, not opinions, not feelings, not the whims of a culture. And so we stand at a place today of unanswered questions, of uncertainty, of rumors of dark stories in closed-off places, intention that only leaves us with the question, what now? So this is a question that you and I are familiar with as followers of Jesus Christ. If you've walked with him for any amount of time, you know that life is often filled with some what nows, where you have the experience of having a hope and a dream and a prayer and believing a promise and an expectation of when that will come to pass, and it doesn't. It doesn't happen in the way you thought. In fact, an answer comes and it's the opposite of what you thought. And we have to face the, 
what now? And you and I know what to do in those moments. And so though this week may have caught some off guard, though this week we are left with more questions than answers, and though it is a difficult spot in life when you're having to wait, I don't like to wait. I've told you before, if Heather and I are going somewhere and I know there's going to be traffic, I'm asking her to find another path on Google Maps. I don't mind taking an extra 10 minutes as long as I'll keep moving. Amen. I don't like sitting in traffic. I don't like waiting. So give, give me, give me a, another road. Give me some, not too many traffic lights, but give me a path where there's movement and, and I'll, I'll take it. Waiting on life can be painful. Waiting on a, a medical report. Waiting on a decision about a job. Waiting to see if the other person will make a move in the relationship. Waiting for prayers to be answered about marriage. Waiting for clear decisions. So if you're at a place today where you are asking what now about life, about a specific area in your life, I would say you're in good company this morning because we all have been there. And in some, some ways, we're all there right now. You're in good company as a follower of Jesus Christ as well because the Scripture is filled with men and women who faced what now moments. Abraham and Sarah given a promise by God about a child and children, lots of them, when it seemed impossible and they had to ask, what now? Joseph waiting for a dream to come to pass in his life, hated by his brothers, sold off into slavery, treated horribly, injustice after injustice. And he lived with the question, what now? Moses waiting for deliverance of his people. The disciples waiting for the promise of a comforter to come. And Jesus himself waiting in heaven today for the moment the father says, son, you may now go and get your bride. You're in good company if you're in a what now moment. So we turn to the scripture today for hope because that's what you do as a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't lean into our emotions. We don't turn on the latest TV psychologist, we go to scripture. Amen? So if you have your Bible, if you've got a Bible app, whatever you got that gets you to scripture, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. Here we're going to look surprisingly at one verse today. I know you're shocked. I am too. Isaiah lived some 700 years before Jesus. He lives at a time in and around Jerusalem when the nation is divided into two groups, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, and neither are doing a good job at seeking the Lord. That's why they're divided. The king of Judah was a man named Uzziah at the time. 
What's interesting is they didn't have term limits back in the day. So Uzziah has been king since he was 16, co-ruled with his father. And at the point we're picking up the story today, he's been king for 52 years. That's a long time. And Uzziah is recognized in Scripture as a man who sought the Lord for the great majority of his life. He's a man who walked with God, and as a result, he was blessed, his family was blessed, and the nation was blessed. He did what was right. So when we come to Isaiah 6, verse 1, we're going to find Isaiah in a what now moment. And what Isaiah does here is what you and I must do now. There is clear direction for us today, whether your what now has to do with our nation or your what now has to do with your family or something inside you, this truth applies to us. Verse 1, here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So much in this one verse that applies to us today. We're going to camp out just right here. So grab your notepad or your note app, and let's dive into this verse. The first part of it tells us the what now. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah had been a, a good king. He sought the Lord, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, the Bible tells us. He brought an end to the war with the Philistines. That's a good thing. He built up the nation's defenses. It says he built towers around the walls of Jerusalem. He protected the nation. Along with some cunning men, the scripture says, he built great engines, not gas-powered, that hurled arrows and stones, and they mounted them on these towers by the walls and in the area around the city because he knew a safe nation was important to their security. He was blessed as a leader. He was loved by all. It was a time of great prosperity, but as this verse tells us, he died. He wasn't counting on this. Neither was Isaiah and neither were the people. And the scripture gives us some insight if we were to read into the Chronicles and the Kings, you would find more about what happened. You see, at the peak of Uzziah's prosperity and success, something happened in his heart, something devastating. He began to think he was much more than he was. Pride filled his heart. And the Bible says that he decided one day that he, as a king, would do something that only by the law the priests were allowed to do. 
he decided he would walk into the holy place and offer an offering to God. He stepped out of the bounds. He assumed something that was not his. He broke the covenant law. And the Bible records the story and says that when he was going in, that Aaron and 80 other priests tried to stop him. 80 men tried to stop Uzziah. Don't do it. Don't do that. That's not what God has for you and for us. The Bible says that Uzziah became very angry at these men who tried to stop him. In a, fence, or in a sense, he shook his fist at God and said, I'll do what I want to do. It feels right. I feel right doing it. And he did it. And a tragic thing happened just immediately. The Bible says that when he turned around, the priest looked at him and he changed. Leprosy broke out on his forehead immediately. To get leprosy was a death sentence upon your life. It was so infectious that you would have to be removed from the society to live with other lepers. And it meant you weren't going to live much longer. And because he defied the Lord, he developed leprosy was taken from his ruling place as king. And within a matter of years, he died. And this is where Isaiah writes. Where there had been great stability, there was all of a sudden great uncertainty. What would happen next? 52 years with one king who sought the Lord? Would the next king, his son, be as strong, be as passionate? What would the years hold? What was going to happen? Would there still be national security? Would there be prosperity? Was there going to be change in the land? And Isaiah is faced with a social, cultural concern. What now? But this verse tells us what Isaiah did and what he does next is so powerful that it actually will set the course of Isaiah's life. When I started this week preparing for this message, I had intended to do the whole chapter. But the more I looked at it, the more kept popping off the page to me, the more relevance it had. So don't be surprised if you come back next week and we talk about Isaiah again. Parentheses here, I normally plan my series out long in advance. There's so much happening today in the culture, I don't want to plan for something that's irrelevant to where we are. So bear with me, stay tuned, we'll see what happens this next week and we'll get into God's word next week and see what he says. Amen? So here in the midst of upheaval, 
I'm struck by the fact that it says in the year, in the moment, in the time. When the tragedy happened, Isaiah is about to do something in the year that it happened. So just to make this kind of, uh, or make it very relevant to you, you can remove the words King Uzziah died and put in your own thing that's happened this year. In the year that COVID-19 happened. In the year that financial hardship hit our family. In the year that my marriage faced its greatest challenge. In the year that my children went through so much. In the year that my health suffered. In the year that my hopes and dreams were crushed. In the year that my prayers weren't answered like I thought. In that year. Isaiah says, here's what he did. He says, I saw the Lord. In the year of pain, loss, uncertainty, confusion, not knowing what was going to happen next, upheaval, destruction, in that year, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I intentionally turned my gaze to look to heaven. This wasn't like Isaiah was like, mm-hmm, oh, oh, hi, Lord. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't mean that kind of, I saw the Lord. It meant in the midst of horizontal chaos, Isaiah said, I got to get some vertical clarity. And Isaiah lifted his eyes and he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I turned my eyes to look at him. Now, I normally don't use the King James Version here on Sunday mornings. I normally use the New King James Version. But I, I love the way the King James Version reads on this verse and feel like it probably is a bit more accurate because it inserts a word that's not in the New King James Version. Here's the way the King James says it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord. Whew. That means at the same time I was looking at what was going on here, I got my eyes on what was going on there. I also saw that. If you want to get some perspective on this, you got to also see that. You got to see them at the same time. You can't see it separately. You can't disconnect them. You can't compartmentalize them. You got to see this while you're looking at this. If you don't see that, why are you looking at this? This is going to destroy you. But when you also see the Lord, it will do some things to you. But to do that, you've got to, you have to intentionally look. You can't just wait and hope it's going to pop up in front of you like a bad ad on the internet. You have to seek him. You have to carve out some time in your day. You have to carve out some time in your week. You've got to shut out the other voices and say, that's enough. That's enough. Step aside, Facebook. Step aside, CNN. Step aside, Fox. Step aside. I don't need your voice anymore. I got to get some clarity. 
Step aside, friends. Step aside, enemies. Step aside, self. I'm coming to seek you, Lord. That's what Isaiah did. That means you and I have to do that. You've got to carve out the time. You've got to plan intentionally. You're going to have to grab your Bible or your Bible app, and you're going to have to read it. You're going to have to seek it. And if you don't know how, come see me. I'll help you. You have to focus. You've got to tell your emotions, backseat boys, there's no time for you. This is time for my spirit to connect with the spirit of God. This is not time for emotions to reign. This is not time for my own logic to try to figure it out. This is not about anything about my pleasure, my will, my choices, God. All of that gets a way back seat. In fact, just get on out of the car. I don't even need you in here right now. I'm going somewhere that I got to hear the Lord and you're a distraction to me. Emotions, you're a distraction. Thoughts, you're a distraction. Isaiah sought the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. But this is what faith does. This is what a biblical worldview does. It sees life from a biblical perspective. It says, if it's happening here, there's one there who has something to say about it. If it's happening here, it actually is in the hands of the one who reigns over all. And I got to get some perspective on it. If there's government turmoil, I got to turn my eyes to God. If there's uncertainty about my future, I've got to get my eyes on the Lord. If there's confusion in my life, I've got to see the Lord. Isaiah was passionate, and you and I have to as well. This is the time to turn your eyes to see the Lord. Now, because he did that, there's a lot more to this sentence. It could have ended with, in the year that King Uzziah died, so did my heart, period. It could have ended that way, but it did not because Isaiah made a decision of faith. I'm going to set my eyes to see the Lord. Look what he sees when he does. He says, I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Mm. It's fascinating. Isaiah had not met Jesus. Jesus had not showed up in the form of Jesus in the scripture yet. Isaiah had heard the Lord. Isaiah had heard him speak. Isaiah had heard stories about him. But something unique happens on this day because Isaiah sees the Lord. And he sees him sitting on a throne. This is not God, the grandfather, white-bearded figure. There is no such thing as that. The Bible is clear that God is invisible. 
Stay with me. You look it up in the New Testament if you don't believe me. And no one has seen him at any time. The only one that's ever been seen is Jesus. And here he is sitting on a throne in the Old Testament. Isaiah sees him. When you set your eyes to see the Lord, he'll show you things you have not seen before. Come on now. He sees something he hadn't seen before. And what he sees is a king seated on a throne. He is sitting. It doesn't say anything about Isaiah saw the Lord and boy was he pacing back and forth. That's what you and I do. That's what I've been doing this week. Hello? When I pace back and forth, I know I got to get my eyes somewhere else. And that's what Isaiah did. He got his eyes on the Lord and he saw something he hadn't seen before. He saw him sitting on a throne. And it was high. And it was lifted up. It's fascinating to me. In a day when Isaiah's government situation was in chaos, he looked at the government of heaven and saw peace. He saw God. He saw Jesus reigning. You can't see Jesus on a throne and not understand reigning authority. That's what a throne is. It's where a king sits. It's where a king reigns from. And he is seated there. He's not absent from it. He didn't say, I saw an empty throne. He didn't say, I saw a recliner. He didn't say he was asleep. He said, I saw a throne. I saw majesty. I saw power. I saw authority. And the king is seated there. He is undisturbed by the events on earth. He is unaffected by them. He's not rattling his fingers on the edge of the seat like I do when I get nervous. He's seated there in power. He isn't troubled. He isn't concerned. He's seated on his throne. And this is what a biblical worldview does. It sees God reigning over all of life in spite of what's happening in this life. So that when the moments of my life look a little chaotic or crazy chaotic and I can't seem to control or manage any of them, I turn my gaze to see my God and he's there seated on a throne ruling over it all. It's not that he's disconnected from it. He's intimately involved in it and he's not shaken by it because he, he in fact, is reigning over it. And he says this is exactly what I planned. Mm. See, if you don't set your eyes to see the Lord, you won't ever be able to say those things. There's a king who reigns today. He reigns over all eternity. 
Nothing escapes his view. Nothing is missed by him. He's not absent. And he's not just a passive observer about what's going on. He's not just sitting there waiting like, well, one day they'll come to me. No, he is actively engaged, his hands on the situation. Ruler of all eternity, nothing misses his glimpse, his heart, his plans. And so Isaiah sees this. Isaiah sees hope in the midst of the darkness. Isaiah sees peace in the midst of the problem. Isaiah sees the guardian of justice sitting on his throne. And it may appear that life is chaotic. It may appear that man is having his day, but nothing escapes the God who sits on his throne. He's the king who knows. He's the king who sees. And he's the king who guards the paths of justice. Men may scheme in dark rooms. Men may plot against even his plans. Men may unfold their strategies against God as they did with our Lord Jesus. They plotted against him, falsely arrested and imprisoned him, brought charges, beat him, led him away to be crucified, made a public spectacle of him. And the disciples thought, what now? But the justice of God may roll slow, but it rolls certain. And on the third day, Jesus walked out of what his enemies thought had held him, had caught him. He walked out the victor. And so in the days of what now, we have to remember some truths from Scripture. When you're facing your what now and wondering, what about those who have hurt me, taken advantage of me, spitefully used me, taken my name, and drug it all over town? We remember truths like Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Isaiah 30, 18, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And Psalm 43, when David writes from his own what now moment. And he says, vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp, I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him 
the help of my countenance and my God. When you get a view of the Lord, your Lord sitting on a throne over your life, reigning in perfect power, reigning over this world in perfect power, and reigning over all eternity, it will do something to you when you see him seated in authority and power. Now, as I told you before, when you take the time to look to the Lord, he'll show you things. And this happens for Isaiah. Not only sees him seated on a throne, and it's high and lifted up. For a king to have a high and elevated throne is a place of authority and power. But I want you to notice what Isaiah sees next. It says, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, you and I are not as familiar with trains today as part of apparel. In fact, probably the only time you've seen it is maybe at a wedding. And styles, of course, come and go. When Heather and I got married, she had a train that went behind her. And when she got up on the stage, bridesmaids, you know, take and carefully arrange it so it looks perfect for the pictures. Styles come, styles go. Sometimes a bride has a train, sometimes she doesn't. But we don't know anything about men wearing trains today, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> but back in this day, it was a known custom for a king to wear his royal robe that declared his glory and strength. And part of the robe had an attachment that was a, a train that came off of the shoulders and went back and draped down behind him. And the train was a symbol of his victories. The longer the train, the greater the victories. Some say that a king, when he would defeat another king, would go in and take off part of his robe and attach it to his own. And the longer the train, the longer the victory and the power. So when you saw a king, you knew of his greatness by the length of his train. Wow. If you apply that here, here Isaiah sees the Lord and he's seated on a throne and it's a high and lifted up throne, which is fascinating in and of itself because Isaiah did not see in the temple a throne. He saw an altar in his day. But he sees something he'd never seen before. He sees Jesus seated on a throne that's high and lifted up. And the thing that he notices so immediately that he chose to write for us, he says, I saw his train the train that came from his shoulders, his place of strength. The train that went down his back, symbolizing his greatness. The train that went down around the throne, his authority 
And the train that went down even further, the steps, his jurisdiction. And this train, Isaiah says, is so unique because it fills the temple. It is really long and glorious because this king is a king who has victories, many, many victories. Isaiah didn't even know the number of victories that you and I know today. Isaiah didn't get to know the rest of the story except he sees it here. And he sees this royal king with this royal robe and it's filling the temple. The God who had been victorious over the slavery of Egypt. The God who had defeated so many, here is wearing a royal robe. Mm. Isaiah's moved in this moment. In the midst of chaos in his own life, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of what now? He saw a king. He saw him seated. He saw a robe. And he said... My heart is at peace because I've seen the king who reigns over all. You know, when I look at this passage, I know that Isaiah was seeing something into the future. He was seeing in heaven. He was seeing Jesus on the throne. But there's so much here that applies to today even. Stay with me for just a moment. Because the New Testament describes a temple, but not a temple like the Old Testament. You and I didn't come to a building today that has a physical throne with a seat and stairs and a physical king seated on it. You and I didn't come to a temple today where we are offering up the sacrifices of lambs. You didn't come in today with turtle doves, oxen, or lamb to offer to the Lord for your sin. You came in today to offer up the sacrifice of praise because the Lamb of God has already offered his sacrifice for your sin. That is done. But the curious thing about the New Testament is the place where the Lord has set up his temple is in you and in me. He is seated there in power, in majesty, in authority. There's nothing that catches him by surprise in your life. Stop living like he just got shocked by what happened to you. Stop living like it's all out of control. Stop living like he doesn't know what's going on. Stop living like it's a recliner or an easy chair or an absent chair. It's a throne set up in the temple that is today you and me. Amen? Amen? And, and what he sees, he sees the train of his robe filling the temple. He looks into the temple and there he sees the victories of the king. And Isaiah is... If you need some peace today, stop looking at the news. Stop looking at your apps. Stop looking at what's happening out there. Turn 
to the temple of God inside you where he has won some victories. That's when you'll find yourself encouraged. You start looking at your, the road that's in the temple and say, whoa, my sin has been beaten and defeated. Satan has been defeated. All the fear and anxiety and stubbornness and jealousy and envy and sin that used to be me, that's been taken care of by my Lord Jesus. And that train of that robe is filling the temple. Are you with me? Stop looking at what you think is an empty throne where you don't know what's going on, where you're all confused and you're letting your emotions sit on the throne, you're letting your thoughts sit on the throne. Jesus is on that throne. Let him be that Lord in your life. See the victory that he's accomplished for you. See your place in heaven secured. See your name written in the Lamb's book of life. See the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in you. See yourself as that temple and his glory is filling it. And you'll get some peace in the midst of all this. (laughs) Now, I want to go one step further with this. Because the Bible does say that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I want to read another couple of verses to you. I knew I couldn't just keep the one passage. (laughs) Ephesians 2, write this down. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you, that's us, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Huh? There's another temple? There's a building? Yes. When you and I come to the Lord, you are like a living stone being put into the house. Someone else comes to the Lord. Living stones being set into the building. We are becoming a holy temple, a gathering together in the Lord. Verse 22, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You and I are being built together as a spiritual house. That's why being part of a local church is so important because you're being connected together with other living stones where we come together for hope and encouragement and faith. And that's happening this morning right now. Amen. For those this morning that are not here and they're not online joining us, I pray for them because if you're alive today, you need some encouragement. You need some hope in the Lord. And you and I are being built together. And so when we get together like this, as this temple of the Spirit of God, I want to see what Isaiah saw. I want to see Jesus reigning over us. I want to see him high and lifted up among us. 
That's why we sing. That's why we shout. That's why we amen. That's why we surrender our lives to him. So that the train of his robe, the evidence of his victories, the greatness of his power fills this place. That is where the glory comes from. That's where the encouragement happens. And that's where we see his victories over and over and over again. Amen? Yeah. So today, a few minutes from now, you're going to get to see some more of his robe filling the temple. Because we got to go yesterday to Miss Anelda Staples' house in Middle Lothian, who is 78 years old, that Heather and I went and visited several weeks back, and she said, I've been a believer for a long time, but I've never been baptized. So we packed up our trough, that right there, Dudley Light, drove it in his truck, Craig went, brought the water hose, we filled it up in her living room, and we baptized her. Yeah, amen. And you're going to see a live baptism today because a young man by the name of Jason Hughes is going to be baptized today. Now look, look. These are victories. I believe they are the greatest victories on the planet today. I'll take a life change over an economy change any day of the week. Amen. I'll take a heart that surrenders its life to follow Jesus Christ over an election. I'll take it. Because that is the greatest work that God does to resurrect a dead heart that rejected God, was caught in its sin, distance away from him, resisting in stubbornness, all of a sudden come to life and the Spirit of God come in and fill that person and bring them to life, that is a miracle. That is resurrection. And that is what we come to celebrate. So today, we get to celebrate that there is a king who is seated on his throne today. He's not distant. He's not removed. He's not pacing. He's not worried. He is seated in controlled authority and power. And the minute you start feeling your heart racing and your fears rushing in, see the Lord while you see what's going on. See him seated in authority, in power, as the one who vindicates the righteous, who is always working on behalf of his children and will get the glory. Amen? Would you bow your heads as we pray today? Father, today, as with any other day in our life, we bring our uncertainty about tomorrow to the certainty of your throne. We bring our concerns to the one who reigns over all.
we bring our anxieties, our fears. We turn our gaze to you. I thank you that you are seated. I thank you that you are at work. I thank you that nothing catches you by surprise. I thank you that you invite us to trust you. And I thank you that you invite us to a place that is filled with great victory that our lives represent. I thank you that you are a king. We worship you today. We come to see. We come to be changed. We come to cry out. We come to be grateful that there is a king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.